Welcome to your High Vibration Life podcast with Robin Openshaw, also known online as the Green Smoothie Girl. When you're living your high vibration life, you're healthier in every way. You're more productive, creative, peaceful, and loving. Your high vibration life is calling. And now your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey everyone, it's Robin Openshaw and welcome back to Vibe. I don't know if you noticed, but we rebranded our podcast because my book that just published a few months ago is called Vibe and we just thought it was a better title than Your High Vibration Life, but but welcome back anyway. I hope that you weren't confused by our new thumbnail in iTunes. I hope you like it. And as we get started moving forward as Vibe, I'm really, really excited about our guest today. And I know I might say that fairly often, but this one is one that I really wanted to dive deep into because genetics are so talked about out there. There's so many people getting the 23andMe or other testing and they're learning where their ancestors came from. You might be finding out that you have uh, ancestry on continents you never imagined. You're learning about specific Uh, genetic anomalies that you have, the things that make you unique. And one thing that I think that's going on a lot out there is that people are going to their functional medicine practitioners and saying, hey, what does this mean? And what do I do about it? So to that end, I want to introduce you to Dr. Ben Lynch. And last week I was in Hawaii. Uh, Every year I go to Hawaii with my girlfriends to celebrate our birthdays in February. We're all born in February. And I read Dr. Lynch's book, It's called Dirty Jeans. Okay. And of course, we're not talking about dirty jeans, but he has a really fun metaphor that goes throughout the book. You know, since we throw our dirty jeans in the laundry, he talks about cleaning up our jeans, G-E-N-E-S, our our genes that make up our genetics. So Dr. Lynch received a BS in cell and molecular biology, and that prepared him well to go into Bastyr University and get naturopathic doctor degree. And so he's become really passionate about identifying causes of disease related to nutrigenomics and methylation dysfunction. We're hearing so much talk about methylation, and I'd like to get into that with Dr. Lynch today. But he is at seekinghealth.com. He lives in Washington near Seattle with his wife, Nadia, and his three sons. And so welcome, Dr. Ben Lynch. Hey, appreciate being here, Robin. Well, genetics being all the rage these days, everybody's talking about their MTHFR SNPs. Probably about once a day, we have one of our detoxers or one of our followers saying, well, you know, I know that these problems are because I have the MTHFR gene uh, or SNP. And so I want to kind of start with the basics with you. I feel like we were talking before we got started on our on our episode today about how I, I feel like when people discover more about their genetics and they find out, you know, just using MTHFR as an example, that the functional docs who aren't entirely prepared, this is all such new terrain, they're saying, okay, you have this, so take this supplement. And that's the extent of what a lot of the functional docs out there really know how to do. And I really liked in your book where you give a lot of cautions about that and you say, hey, you don't just throw a supplement at every every snip here. Um, so let's just talk about what we're even talking about. Talk about the basics of your 
individual dirty genes. You have you talk about it all the way through the book, including you you go into treatment that people can do at home that you call the soak and scrub, right? And then you go into spot cleaning. And so talk a little bit about our genes and about the fact that some we we have that we're born dirty with and some that are acting dirty. Can you talk about those basics? Yeah. So, you know, we all think that our genes are just kind of we're dealt the hand that we got from our mom and dad. And we hope that our mom and dad were given good genes as well. And so we're born on this planet with a set of genes and away we go. And whatever family diseases that we've had, you you fill out on the intake form of the doctor's office. Yep. We've got cancer. Yep. We've got cardiovascular disease. Yep. We've got this too. And yeah, we got that too. And every time you go to the family history section, you, you have this sense of when is that going to hit me? When's that going to hit me? And he was like, you know, that's genetically related because it's in your family. And your doctor, your doctor says it right to your face. It's like, yeah, your family history is pretty risky. Um, so you, you kind of, you have this sense of overwhelm. And it's not really fear. You just kind of accept it. And I'm, I'm telling you to don't accept it and, and telling you to, to push through it and, and to not even push through it, but to, to harness it and say, okay, well, those are some weak links in my family. And what do I need to do to, to fix that? Because if, if there's a weak link, then maybe it's approachable. And all you need to know, first of all, is, is genes aren't static. They, they are constantly doing things. And yeah, some genes are static, you know, but the genes that I talk about in dirty genes aren't. So what I mean by static, it's like your hair color, your eye color, your skin color. You can't change those. I mean, those are, those are your destiny and that's it. Those are, those genes are set and they're finite, done. Um, you know, and, but the genes I like to talk about in dirty genes are very, very amiable to your lifestyle, your diet, the nutrition that you, uh, provide your body or you don't, uh, the nutrients that you provide, the environment, you know, every year you go to Hawaii on your birthday, your genes are soaking that up, Robin, and love it. Um, you know, the, the smoothies that you give them or you don't and certain types of smoothies, uh, can be supportive more for your genes and maybe not quite for someone else. So the concept of dirty genes is merely a dirty gene is a gene that is not functioning at its best. That's it. And you can be born with a gene that's weaker, um, you know, that you inherited from your mom or your dad or both, or you can be inheriting the perfect set of genes from both of them uh, all the way down. Every single one of your genes can be born absolutely stunning, but if your lifestyle is not conducive towards keeping those genes happy, they're going to start acting up and giving you symptoms anyway. So the, the whole premise of the book is saying, regardless of what your genetics are born with, they can be acting up. And it's important that you know what these seven genes do, what their jobs are. And, and if, they, if you don't provide them the tools that they need, they're going to start knocking on your head or somewhere in your body with symptoms and telling you to say, hey, you know, pay attention here. I'm not getting what I need. And that's what the symptoms are. And if you keep ignoring them with suppressants or conventional medications, or trying to shut them up, you know, they're going to rear their head later and more ferociously uh, with a disease. And so start tuning into that and start cleaning up your genes. How much do you think of the bad stuff that happens to us? You know, everyone's terrified of cancer. We've all, all of us at this point, seen someone die a really dreadful, difficult, long death, 
from mm. cancer. And we, we all were, you know, that's why people call it the C word. Some people just can't even say it out loud. We've seen so much of it in our families. How much of, of the bad stuff that happens to us is related to our genes and how much of it is lifestyle? Um, you're, you're just, you're so educated in this. What would you say that percentage is? Well, you look at the research on, on cancer causation, and we're talking single digits in terms of percentages. Uh, it depends on the paper and the type of cancer that's out there. But, you know, you're talking anywhere from one to, you know, seven, eight percent of cancers uh, are genetic. And so when I read that, I still read it with bias. I still say, OK, well, yeah, it's genetic. But if a person knew that they had these genes at the early onset and they, they took extra precaution to make sure that they did everything they could, would they still get cancer? And I would, you know, I would be as so bold to say we would be probably down to 1% of cancers are genetic. You know, there are some genes that are pretty darn dirty. And if you have a combination of them, you know, with the, when you have a combination of certain genes that increase susceptibility to something, it's called a haplotype. And a haplotype is a certain set that can really, if you have this combination of, of born dirty genes, it can definitely increase your risk. And uh, I talk about haplotypes in the book a bit as well. Um, but I, I would say, you know, Robin, the majority of cancers are environmental, uh, hands down. And, and that is not disputed either. Uh, far majority. And the Alzheimer's is another example. I mean, everyone fears about dementia and Alzheimer's and the APOE44 uh, SNP uh, combination. People are terrified about that. But, you know, and now we have Dr. Dale Bredesen's book and published in, with research and, and case studies that it's not necessarily the case. And there's many other researchers saying the same thing. April 44 is not the death sentence for Alzheimer's. You can do stuff about it. Cancer is the same way. You know, I'm so glad to hear you say that because it absolutely lines up with every other expert I've talked to that we shouldn't be fatalistic because, you know, it, it, we really can nurture our genes no matter what we had, what we were dealt. And I've mentioned this on a previous podcast episode I did with James Maskell, but I, I think it bears repeating. I mentioned that I've talked to a couple of BRCA1 breast cancer uh, patients who I'm trying to talk into the fact that the dietary choices they make, the lifestyle choices they make, some things they're doing to either make cancer highly unlikely or make it more likely are very powerful for them too. And I've had, mm -hmm. I've had two BRCA1, which predisposes you to what some people call the Angelina Jolie predisposition to breast cancer and ovarian cancer. And, and, and I want to say that, you know, it, it would make me nervous too, if I had the BRCA1 gene, but only 60 to 65%, something in there, I think of women in a lifetime, remember people are living to their what mid seventies now actually get breast cancer, ovarian cancer, which means that we can reduce that with lifestyle changes like you advocate for your for in your book. Is that accurate? It's big time accurate. You know, it's the, the whole BRCA the gene. And, you know, I had a great discussion with Dr. David Perlmutter yesterday. And uh, he asked me, because I have a genetic report tool that I provide the public. And he goes, you know, do you, do you report back on BRCA2? I say, no, you know, actually I don't because I, I do believe this, this requires uh, significant sit down and, and genetic counseling, but uh, more than even genetic counseling, because I think genetic counseling is something that, that is not very well educated. You know, I'm not, I'm, I don't mean to put down genetic counselors by any means. I think what they do is extremely important. Uh, 
But I think in order to really be a, a, a powerful genetic counselor, you should really understand nutritional biochemistry uh, and environmental medicine, um, not just what the gene does. Uh, it's not enough. So I'm totally on board with you, Robin, in terms of bracket one and two. You know, you, you have to go back to the individual, though, and, and ask them, you know, if, if you find that you're, you're bracket one and two positive on, the, on genetic test, ask yourself, are you okay with knowing this and moving through your life and doing everything you can to, to reduce that and feel and believe that you are not going to get breast cancer um, because of this and you, you trust your day-to-day actions. And if, if you say that and you, 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 know, you act on it, then yeah, I would say don't go and do mastectomies at all. Now, on the flip side, if you get that test back and you're just freaking out, and you're just, you're, you can't get, you can't get it out of your head. You know, you, you bracket two and you look at your family history and it's like, yep, my mom or grandma, all of them, you know, also got breast cancer and you just can't get it out of your head. You don't believe that you can do it. You don't believe that you're committed to it, uh, to cleaning up your lifestyle. Then, you know, maybe it's something that you consider, but it shouldn't be a reactive, uh, you know, it shouldn't be a reaction that you take. And it's something that you should really uh, think deeply about because, you know, it's part of you that you're removing and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a significant, any body part significant. So, you know, I, I would trust that process. Great. Tell us a little bit about born dirty and acting dirty, which is a theme throughout your book. Genes can act dirty because why? And they're born dirty because what's the difference? Yeah, great question. So, you know, there's there's two types of dirty genes, and 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 the, the born dirty is they were born dirty because you inherited a genetic variation from your mom or your dad or both. They can also be born dirty because your mother's womb was not really clean. You know, and I didn't really talk about that in the book. That's actually a whole another book, and I didn't want to go down that tangent too much. Uh, in the book, Dirty Genes, because it opens a whole other Pandora's box, but I want to share it here too, because I know a lot of your audience is uh, focused on uh, pregnancy and, and young children and so on. So, you know, born dirty could also be that the mother passed on to you a bunch of chemicals, uh, lack of nutrients, um, maybe some uh, nitrous oxide from birth or some other medications that they're on, maybe antibiotics, maybe C-section, um, so you were born dirty this way. Maybe you didn't have any vaginal secretions and your microbiome was off. Maybe you weren't breastfed. Um, so you immediately were, were, your genes weren't getting the nutrients and the tools that they needed. And on average, uh, according to the Environmental Working Group study that was done many years ago, you know, children are born with about 200 chemicals in their cord blood. 200 chemicals at birth, day one. Uh, and that's, that comes from the mother. And, and then the heavy metals and uh, a lot of fat soluble toxins are passed through breast milk, um, perfluorinated compounds, um, uh, fire retardants, um, you know, all these things pass through breast milk. Now that's fine. I mean, it's, it's not fine, but you know, breastfeeding is still number one. Breastfeeding still is far superior than, than formula hundred percent. So I'm still a huge proponent of that. Just know that you are detoxing when you're breastfeeding and, and, uh, take the appropriate nutrients and, I'll get into that later. Um, but your book vibe, uh, provides a, a lot of great recipes that really nourish women, um, for this as well. So, you know, that, that, that's the born dirty. Now the get dirty, um, once the baby is born, 
or once you are born, your actions uh, do two things. They either support your genes or they dirty them up. And if you're a baby crawling around on the floor and you, you pick up your rubber ducky and you put it in your mouth, now you're loading yourself with phthalates. And, uh, um, you know, the, the new mattress that you're sleeping on is you're being exposed to countless chemicals coming up from the mattress that it's affecting you. And that actually increases the, the risk of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Um, you know, so and paints that are in your, your home and carpets and, and uh, the foods choices that you're eating. Are you eating foods that support your genes and give them vitamins and minerals and amino acids and healthy fats and healthy proteins? Are you giving them dead uh, processed food that has no life in it at all and basically doesn't even support your genes at all? In fact, the food that you're eating all day is work for your genes to process and get the chemicals out and to get that stuff out and to balance the huge glycemic load that you just put on your body and the inflammation on that. So all the food that you're putting into your system is so pro-inflammatory and dirty that your genes are constantly working on cleaning it up. And if your genes are constantly working on cleaning up the messes that you keep giving them, well, how can they repair you? How can they give you vital skin? How can they provide you clear functioning neurotransmitters and brain? How can they give you uh, the ability to uh, respond in an appropriate manner um, to sudden stressors in your life? They can't. They can't. They can't. They either you give them the tools they need so they can support you through your life. And I have a brilliant example in the book about this. Um, or they, they can't. And so you, you can't be expected to eat like crap and live a super busy life and not sleep well and expect you to have a functioning brain and skin and, and liver. You can't. It's, it's either either or. Yeah, I feel like as I was reading your book and as you kind of went through that bit of a laundry list of things that affect how well your genes are performing for you and keeping you healthy and helping you live a long and, and happy and healthy life. I feel like it's, it's all the things, you know, that we target one of them on every one of our episodes here and each one makes a difference and shouldn't, shouldn't be discounted. You know, we just, we just did an episode on indoor air pollution and all those chemical toxins that we're, um, that we're exposed to in our home. And so it's really exciting to see that, you know, here's yet another application. I mean, we may talk a lot on this show about vibrational frequency and these energetics, but our, our genes are, all of this is inextricably linked. Let's talk about the MTHFR and blocked detoxification pathways. You know, we just put the most recent groups, a lot of them are still in our detox, but probably several hundred of them have finished, but we have 2,500 people right now going through the Green Smoothie Girl Detox. And I've been guiding people through a 26th day, very intensive. It's not just their diet, but their diet is extremely clean and organic, um, easily digested so that their body can really focus on this cleanup process. And along with that note about the fact that we take people through a detox, I also take people to Switzerland every summer. And this year I'm taking three weeks of people. And then my dear friend, Dr. Tom O'Brien is taking three weeks of people too. And we do a liver detox. And when we're there, a lot of us get an oligo scan, which tests for your heavy metals, but also tests your detoxification pathways and how blocked they are. And so many people these days are saying, well, I have the MTHFR, so I have problems methylating. We talk a little bit specifically just because everybody's talking about this particular genetic anomaly or this particular feature of our genetics. Talk about MTHFR and methylation. What are, what are they talking about? Well, I mean, they're, look, the homo sapiens and the human race is, 
has been on this planet for a long time. And if one gene contributed towards interfering with such a vital process in the human body for an entire life, then we'd all be dead. Our race would be extinct. Homo sapiens would be gone, vanished. So the body has is inherently brilliant and it has multiple, multiple backup systems at play. So, you know, if you get a flat tire in your car, that's a problem. Um, you know, but if you get a flat tire in your body, your MGFR gene isn't working, there's backup systems to pick up the slack. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, feat, uh, really. I mean, the human body is exceptionally brilliant. Um, so having a MGFR SNP variant, polymorphism mutation, whatever you want to call it, um, is not a death sentence to your methylation. And you cannot, I emphasize, you cannot say that you have a problem methylating because of your MGFR SNP. That's, that's, that's like saying, um, gosh, you know, you can't, uh, turn on your computer, um, because the, the battery is at, you know, 30% capacity. Well, you still can turn on your computer because there's 30% battery left. It's, it's, just because you have an MTGFR SNP doesn't mean that there's nothing left of the MTGFR. Now, hey, there are some very, very significant, very deadly MTGFR variants that are very, very rare. I think only 50 people ever um, have had this, and they're born struggling immediately, and they need to be put on methylfolate instantly. Um, but the MTGFR variants that are common in the population, you still have 30% functioning. And I, I, that's what my gene is. You know, my MTGFR gene is functioning at 30%. So my battery life for my MTGFR, like you know, on your computer, I need to charge it more. You know, I need to take more caution. I need to make sure I'm not running a bunch of applications at the same time and sucking the juice down and recharging it better. And so I, I will make sure nowadays that I'm getting my leafy greens. I do not drink alcohol. I, I just, I just stopped. I just, rarely drink it. I mean, it's like once every three months, uh, that I, I drink. And then every time I do it, I was like, why did I do that? Um, cause it just dirties my inch of And I was like, that was stupid. Um, but I don't beat myself up for it. I just clean up my gene the next day. Um, so I, I really want people to say, to stop saying I've emptied Jafar and I'm a bad methylator or I'm an under methylator. No, you have no idea. You, you have no idea. You can't make any judgment call on how you are based upon a genetic report. And I'm seeing this so often and it drove me so bonkers that, that, uh, I was like beating my head up against the wall. And finally, finally, dirty genes is a tool that allows people to take quizzes in the book real time to see if actually their empty bar is dirty or not. So there's no genetic testing needed. There's no laboratory testing needed. You just check boxes and you're like, yep, 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 yeah, yeah, I've definitely, I've got a dirty MTGFR and now I got to clean it up. Genetic testing or not. So that's, that's one of the beauties of the book. And uh, it's, it really empowers and excites people because someone could be born with an MTGFR gene that was dirty, such as myself, very dirty, born, but I'll take the quiz and I might have one check mark. And I'm like, it's clean, it's fine. So, and, uh, but it can, it's increased susceptibility to getting dirty. And, you know, I drink, if I drink, I gummed it up big time. So, 
Um, you know, we just we just need to understand that having a SNP of any type could increase our susceptibility um, to having problems. But just also know that if you have no SNP in the MGFR, you can have the exact same symptoms um, because of your actions. Yeah, I'm so glad you said this because it's been driving me bonkers too, partly because I feel like we've all gotten so attached to this reductionistic thinking of, of diagnoses in general, which gosh, most diagnoses are just a symptom you're having. And, you know, you could probably get rid of it tomorrow or next week. In many cases, if you do the things that you're talking about in the book, the things that I talk about in vibe, just, you know, by cleaning up, just cleaning up the whole terrain, then the genes perform better. I'm so glad that you're sort of taking the power out of, oh, I'm, I don't methylate well because I'm, I've got the MTHFR. I have heard, had two people say that to me today so far. And so let's stop coddling our diagnoses and our, our darn genetic SNPs because they are predictive of, of some tendencies. I think I hear Dr. Lynch saying, we'll have him, him clarify, but I asked a doctor friend of mine, I've asked a few and I, I said, how many people have the MTHFR? Because everybody's clinging to that, like it's a thing. And she actually told me ninety percent. You have a? Do you have an estimate? So, like, if everybody has this issue, or almost everybody has this issue, it's just one thing, right? Well, it is just one thing. You know, it, it is a big thing. I mean, I will definitely not discount it, but it is it is a big thing. And you know, and and the it depends on the ancestry. You know, the, the Chinese, Hispanics. Um, certain Caucasians, um, you know, but yeah, let's just keep it simple. Caucasians and Italians have a very high prevalence of MTGFR, even a significant one, you know, upwards of 30, 40%, even 50% have a homozygous C677 variant in these populations. Uh, that's huge. And this means that their, their uh, MTGFR gene is working at about a 30% capacity. And that, that is very, very significant find. So if you find that a genetic test, it is something that is that you should own and uh, understand. But you should also understand that it is not a, a sentence of doom. It is not guaranteeing that you have recurrent miscarriages or infertility or or die of cardiovascular disease or cancers. It's just showing you that it's it just is working at a slower rate. That's it. And there are benefits to that. And I discuss those in the book. And, and you know, we've inherited this from our ancestors for a reason. And, and MTGFR was passed down to us because if you had MTGFR back in the day, it helped you survive infections uh, it, it, because you need folate to, for DNA repair, um, you know, a different type of folate for repairing your DNA and making DNA basis and energy. And if you have MTGFR polymorphism, it allows more folate to go that way than towards methylation. So, you know, there are benefits to it. So we need to understand that too. It's not like we were, the body is, is being dealt a bad hand. Now I'm, I'm, I'm going to open a slight can of worms that I typically don't do, but your audience is very well educated. And, uh, I'm going to throw this out there. I, I do think that MTGFR is increasing in the population. I do think that uh, we are seeing an increased incidence because we are forcing pregnancies to term. There's nothing wrong with that by any means. I, you know, if I was infertile or my wife was infertile or we had pregnancy complications or what have you, I'd do everything in my power to do the same thing. But back in the day, if you were infertile or we had recurrent miscarriages, we didn't have tools at our, at our disposal and we couldn't have children. Nowadays, we have amazing supplementation. We have amazing methods to, to allow, um, 
the man and woman to have a baby and override these genetics, which increased our susceptibility to you know, pregnancy complications, we can override them now. So what that doing is, is we're increasing the prevalence of, of genes that might be weaker into the population. So I think we're becoming more and more susceptible to being born dirty genes because we have tools that can bypass them. And so I just want to plant that seed. It, it is a very uh, touchy topic. Um, it can be reached with um, you know, awareness and, and, uh, and understanding that this could possibly happen. Um, and it is happening or it can be, you know, saying, well, how dare you say that? Well, it's just, I'm just putting it out there for people to consider. Yeah. What a, what an interesting commentary on unintended consequences of the fact that we can save so many babies who would have died, um, Mm -hmm. who would have died in any other period of history. And, you know, yay for the fact that we can save all these babies who, you know, for the first time ever, but that's an interesting side consequence of it. Yeah. And let me, let me add to that, Robin, is because what happens is, is it, this is a very, very important, important point with the concept of dirty genes and the work that you do with Vibe is, you know, you work so hard in becoming fertile and carrying your baby to term. And then your baby is born and you celebrate as you absolutely should, right? You're just woohoo. That is fantastic. And it is. Now, you need to be aware of it's just starting. And if your baby is born with more inferior genes, you've got to be more on it. You've got to be more on it. And I will will say that, you know, it just starts. It just starts. And I know there's a big celebratory moment, but I'm, I'm very nervous about vaccines. I'm very nervous about flu vaccines to pregnant women. I'm very nervous about all the chemicals in, 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 you know, that are surround this. I'm very nervous about the processed foods. I'm nervous that, you know, men and women are going to work right away and, and not being present with their kids. And, and, and you have to be because everything's so expensive now. But I, I just want to throw that out there that if you had a pregnancy where you've had to really work hard, you've got to continue working hard for that child and tell them, you know, at some point, run their genetics and, and see where their susceptibilities and their weak points are. Um, because you can prevent them and uh, keep them going at 100%, which is fantastic, but only if you know where their weak links are. You know, you, you were talking a little bit about supplementation and you mentioned methylfolate. And I think that's really interesting because all these folks coming coming out with this, I have the MTHFR gene, um, are, are just loading up on B vitamins. And you have mm-hmm. some cautions about that, right? About what people are taking and what's in what's in our enriched foods that they started doing several decades ago. Tell us a little bit about the the B vitamins and what to take and what not to take. And do if you have MTHFR, do you just load up on methylfolate or mm. is it more than that? Yeah, it's way more than that. It's way more than that. And I, I I will share a study that was done and it really opened my eyes. And and that is that you know, they looked at the incidence of neurotube defects. I mean, the whole reason why folic acid was introduced here in the United States and now we're spreading the, bah, spreading it throughout the world. I mean, now UK is considering it too, which is a, which is a bummer. Um, but, you know, the whole reason folic acid was introduced here in the States is because we processed grains. We, we took a grain that was, was as healthy as it could be. They're not great, but, you know, we took a, a nutritionally 
somewhat dense food and we stripped it of its nutrients so we could keep it on the shelves longer. Uh, that's it. I mean, the industrial revolution allows us to process the flour so that bread can sit on the shelf longer and so we can make massive amounts of it and let it sit there versus making fresh bread basically every couple days or every day. So, and otherwise it would die. So we stripped the nutrients out and then we started seeing all these birth defects happen and, and infertility on the rise. And everybody was like, oh my God, what do we do? And it's like, well, God, you know, we stripped all the nutrients out of the grain and now we need to put the nutrients back. So instead of saying, God, you know, we shouldn't process the flour, we should just leave it alone. We said, oh, we'll make a synthetic nutrient, throw that in the flour and put that in there. And we tested it on rats and the rats processed it very well. And, and the rats got along with folic acid, but the humans gene doesn't really process folic acid very well. In fact, it doesn't do it well at all. It does it, but not very well. Folic acid is a great mimic uh, to real folate in the body. And it looks exactly like a type of folate that is the number one form of folate in your blood, which is called methylfolate. And methylfolate is made by your MTHFR enzyme, which is produced by your MTHFR gene. And you also get methylfolate from your leafy green vegetables, your greens, and your liver, um, should you choose to eat that, which I can't stand, but it is a very nutritionally dense food if you get it, uh, calf, uh, you know, liver and, uh, you know, free range organic. And I'll have to say here, Robin, there was, there's people who actually put it in their smoothies. Oh, wow. Like, wow. I mean, wow. <laughs> That's hardcore. <laughs> that is hardcore. Um, but my power to you. Um, so you know, folic acid is a great mimic and it guns up your, your genes. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, get into that now. I, I describe the details in the book, but just really avoid it. It, it. it was a great nutrient at the time. It did provide benefit, but the neural tube defect issue is not all about folic acid. The neural tube defect is all about methylation. And that's it. There's, you know, we introduced a synthetic nutrient in saying that that synthetic nutrient is going to fix our methylation. Well, folic acid looks exactly like methylfolate, but there's, there's no methyl group on it. There's none. Folic acid is exactly, looks like folate, but there is no methyl group on it. And a methyl group is a carbon and three hydrogens. And in order to put that carbon and three hydrogens on folic acid, it requires one, two, three, four, five, six enzymatic steps, six functioning genes, and a bunch of clean genes in order to do it, to simply put that methyl group on there. And if you don't put that methyl group on there, that folic acid can gum everything up. So that is why MHFR is so important. That's why it's so important to eat nutritionally dense foods that are not processed and wholesome like you described in Vibe. And, you know, getting your green smoothies that are, you know, really nutritionally dense. Um, but it, that's a big one. And in terms of... Uh, the study, what they found is you, you, they looked at people with MCFR C677T, so homozygous for it. So meaning that they looked at a populations who had homozygous MCFR, which reduced their capacity only all the way down to 30% functioning. And they looked at the incidence of neural tube defects. Now, the incidence of neural tube defects was very high in the Caucasians, the Hispanics, and the Chinese very high across the board. If you had MCFR, the association with that and neural tube defects, sky high, okay? Now they went to Italy and they looked at the Italians, high prevalence of MCFR6772, very low incidence of neural tube defects. Huh, 
same gene, different environment, different lifestyle, different mindset, different way of life, neural tube defects way down. So again, it's, it's way more than just the SNP. Yeah. And this is actually a really interesting sort of side tangent because I really don't think that gluten is the core issue with grains and the reactivity people are having to it and the way that eating Wonder Bread and the like is contributing to our disease epidemic because there's other issues here. You know, like the the processed food industry actually took credit for the decrease in neural tube defects. And you're, you're debunking that right here. I think that when we eat processed wheat flour products, we aren't just, it's not just about the gluten. It might, there might be, you know, gluten issues for sure. But, you know, we've got the issue that we spray it with Roundup not once now, but twice because we spray mm-hmm. the wheat when it's coming out of the field as a desiccant. They're actually using that horribly toxic chemical to dry the wheat for storage then there's the fact that we've hybridized the grain some 200 times, most of it. Then there's the fact that we throw away the bran and the germs. It's not a whole food anymore. It's the body doesn't react to it at all. Like the wheat people ate for millions of years. So you've just heard it from our genetics expert that there's also the issue that we're adding folic acid to it. So don't take folic acid. Maybe if you have MTHFR, take methylfolate. Did we hear that right? It depends. And I, I don't want people really supplementing at all, Robin, for the first 250 some pages of the book. I, I really want them tuning in to how their body is responding without a supplement. And, you know, a supplement is defined, is defined as to add or, or to add to or enhance. And if you are supplementing your way through life, you know, with vitamins and minerals, then, you know, it, it, there are times for that. I mean, I do it. I, I, I'm glad I do it. But I, if I have a symptom, I always ask, okay, if I have a certain symptom, I always ask, okay, what, what have I done? What did I do to get to trigger this symptom? What genes got dirty and how did I dirty them? I always ask that stuff every time. I don't even ask it. It's just, it's just unconscious now. I don't reach for a supplement or a medication to, to tell that symptom to shut up and go away. I always what did I do or what didn't I do right, to cause that symptom? So I, for, for me with methylfolate, I do take it, um, but I, I don't take it very often. So this morning I had half of a serving of a, a, a protein powder with combinations of nutrients in there. I probably had 200 micrograms of methylfolate because I'm pretty wired um, right now. Um, you know, I've got a lot going on. So if I'm stressed out, I don't take much methylfolate and I've, you know, I've got a lot on my plate currently. And so I'm taking more adaptogens to keep me cool and level headed and focused rather than stimulating myself with methylfolate and methylfolate will stimulate me and many others. And I will tell you here too, Robin, is I want to have a huge word of caution here for people with methylfolate. The number one most read article on mgfr.net is methylfolate side effects. That's a bummer. And I will also tell you that doctors are not getting it because if you swear that the solution to fixing MTGFR is to give a drug with methylfolate in it or a vitamin with methylfolate in it, how could it be causing side effects? It can't. It won't. It doesn't. 
you're full of it. You're nonsense. Go out of here. We're going to give you a different medication or a different supplement in addition to the methylfolate that I prescribed you because you have MTFR. You have to have this methylfolate. And the doctor is giving you these crazy side effects and from the methylfolate. So you don't take another supplement. You don't take another medication. You stop the stinking methylfolate and it goes away. The symptoms go away. And so I was at a major, major medical conference where there was over a thousand doctors sitting in the audience listening. And presentation after presentation, people were talking about giving methylfolate for MTHFR on the stage. And doctors would raise their hand in their audience and say, well, what about the side effects? What about giving niacin? And they would say right from the podium, oh, that's nonsense. There's very rare, uh, rarely are there uh, symptoms occurring from methylfolate. And I was getting furious, but then then it dawned on me. I was like, wow, this is such good information because they really don't think there's side effects. And so now the patient is struggling with side effects from methylfolate because the doctor is so confident that the prescription is right. Right? Makes sense? Yeah. And I'm going to have everybody who talks to us about their MTHFR SNP, uh, I'm going to have my staff refer them to this podcast episode because I think what you're talking about is really important. And I think a lot of where you're going is when you take a supplement, sometimes you're overdosing on it. Sometimes that will cause problems. You've already just given a very, very powerful example. And so we were actually given the tools to provide the right nutrients in the right balance with all kinds of synergistic cofactors and fiber and other nutrients that that work synergistically with the nutrient you're looking for in the form of whole foods. So Hmm. genetically speaking... Dr. Lynch, why are whole foods the primary answer, the foundational answer, the place you start? Uh, I love that. You know, I asked a very similar question during the Dirty Jeans Summit. I asked Tom Maltair, I said, what is food? And, you know, it's a question that we don't even ask ourselves. We just take it for granted. We just reopen the fridge, open the cupboards, what have you, and eat food. But we don't really take even a moment to understand what it is. And when I asked Tom, Tom, what is food? He was so much more gracious with his answer. But I'll, I'll give a little inkling here to what he shared. And he goes, food is the culmination of life. Food is the, the, the process in which uh, the sun comes down and collects in and provides nourishment to stimulate growth. And then this, the nutrients from the soil get sucked up from the roots. And then the rain provides um, you know, nourishment so the plant can hydrate and process and send electrical signals and to the energy of the plant. And then the sun comes down and radiates it even more and, and generates even more energy. And the soil provides even more nourishment. So, you know, and then you harvest that food and it's this culmination of the sun, the air, the oxygen, the water, and you chew it and you're releasing all that vibrational energy and it just provides all the nutrients for whatever is is in that certain plant. And not only that, that the plant is also in an environment where it's fending for itself and it's building these chemicals for defense uh, and for survival. And it will create chemicals for, you know, either killing uh, pathogens or bugs or or attracting bees for pollinating. It will it will build these constituents. Um, to enhance it too. And so we eat those compounds, which also trigger our genes in various ways. 
um, and support us. So food is exactly what our genes need. I mean, if you look at every single species on this planet, they eat to provide nutrients to their genes. We're the only species on the planet well, outside of seagulls and crows and, and uh, pigs, but we gave them those foods that are processed. You know, every other species on that plant on this planet wants to eat whole food, preferably. Um, so food is simply providing the, the tools that our genes need. Our genes do not want processed food. They don't. They don't want the gunk that went in there. They're, they're dead. These foods are dead. And, you know, and then I asked Tom right after, I said, well, what's processed food? And he, he kind of stuttered for a moment. I don't remember what he asked, but if you think that whole food is the culmination of life, then processed food must be taking life. And it does because you need food, which is a culmination of, of life and nourishment and nutrients in order to neutralize the processed food that you're eating. So it's, 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 it's very, very cool stuff, but it's very simple. Your genes need vitamins and minerals and your genes need proteins, amino acids and fats and other things. So they, and that's the only way you get that is from eating. I feel like this whole conversation has been such a celebration that we both you know, really share in what a miracle the human body is and the human body and spirit. And, you know, when I, when I was right out of college, I worked with a woman who only ate, pro only ate fast food. All of her food was purchased through a drive-thru breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was absolutely obese, took more sick days than she actually had just a very unhappy, miserable person. And, and, you know, she never ate a vegetable ever except for fried potatoes. And I, I think that this this tells us why when, you know, when we're eating processed foods, it's, it, it's dead. It's, it's abuse of this incredible organism that we were, we were born to be. I, I always say that we don't abuse what we value and we're so disconnected from our bodies and our spirits and, and how food makes us really sing and come alive and perform it at, at our very best and live at high vibrational frequencies, or it can, or it can slowly sap that, that, that life force from us. And so I really appreciate you giving us that perspective. I want to, I want to ask you just one more question. You've just been a wealth of information today, but you write a lot in the book about how you've come to understand your genetics through, uh, or, or your, your own tendencies through your genetics. And what's crazy is you're not like, you're not like telling everybody go out and get your 23 and me testing and take it to your doctor. You, that's not your message at all. And, and you can take the quiz at the beginning of Dr. Lynch's book, dirty genes. And by the way, I took your test and I didn't check a single thing. I didn't check a single well, thing. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I was like, well, I don't, I don't think I have the MAOA and I don't have the MTHFR and I don't, but, but, but then you said, no, I want you to read every single chapter. So I read each of the chapters and, and in some of the chapters, I was like, oh, this is kind of actually speaking to me. This kind of sounds like me. And you talk about how several times you talk about how you, one thing that frustrates you about your, about yourself and, you know, it's going to be hard thing when you're, you know, married and you're raising kids is that you have this temper and you find yourself going from zero to 60. You get very passionate and get very angry very easily, which I thought was very authentic of you. And I, I was born into a family where that's what everybody did all the time. So my first 18 years was completely spent with people who just had absolute hair trigger temper. And, you know, I came out with Dukes up, you know, I went out into the world as an adult with Dukes up because I thought, you know, you had to fight because everybody's fighting all the time. 
and, you know, had to, had to deprogram that. But, you know, most women, when they are super triggery like that with their emotions, they think of it as hormones. And so it was really useful and interesting for me to think about possible genetic connections. Can you talk to us a little bit about emotions and what, what genes might be involved and how you've helped yourself ameliorate that with your diet and how you, how you run your life? Yeah, for sure. First of all, it's, it's, uh, you're right, you know, and you look at your, your, how you're raised, cause that, that really builds your, your response to things or reactions throughout life. And so you, how you're raised is a big one. And, uh, so, but we do have genes that increases our, our susceptibility towards having a hair trigger temper. And if you have a combination of genes, um, such as in the book too, I talk about haplotypes, which, you know, these combinations of genes can even give you more hair trigger temper, um, than, than others. So that's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool when you see that because it, it, what happens is it gives you a sense of awareness and it also then gives you, it doesn't give you a, a, an excuse to be a punk. It gives you tools to say, all right, I've got these genes and now this is how I modulate them. This is how I, I nurture them so I can tone that down. And so I could have done the genetic test on myself and say, oh, yeah, I have a propensity to becoming real pain in the butt and irritable and fly off the handle and just tell everybody that's just me genetically and, and move on. But I was like, no, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be alienated, pe- alienating people and being an ass. Um, so I, I worked on uh, modulating that. And so you, you do that. And so you harness your, your go-getter personality type A by being productive, productive and, and getting stuff done, which, you know, you and I do very well, Robin, we just get, we grind and, and produce and make great stuff. But the, the problem is, if we keep grinding, we have a, we can also burn ourselves out. And if we burn ourselves out, we then increase our reactivity, uh, to people and become a punk. And so I notice that also when I work hard, uh, I do that. So you kind of burn the candle. And so, you know, with, when I have huge projects, I see that I, I tend to get a little bit more antsy with my family. So yesterday I felt, I went for a walk and I was exhausted. You know, I was just drained, tired. I took a nap at two o'clock in the afternoon for half an hour. I just did it. You know, I just said, I got a lot to do. I've got to get this stuff done, but you know what? I'm taking a time out right now. And I took a nap and I woke woke up refreshed. And, uh, you know, I was, I felt calm, even though the work was still there and the work can always be there. There's always work to be done. You have to take a time out. If you have a genetic propensity towards being a punk or a type A personality, you have to take more time out. There is no exception. And if you don't, uh, you will be uh, not fun to be around and you will burn out. And if you burn out, then you can't serve others, uh, including yourself. So the number one recommendation I have for folks is what you do on your your birthday, Robin, is, is take vacation. And that is, that is a continuing trend throughout the book. In fact, I ended one of the chapters um, saying, you know, I just spent a, a few hours writing and I'm going to go kayaking with my wife. And, uh, you know, my editor was like, you know, you should kind of cut that. That's kind of cheesy. I said, no, no, I, I want people to understand that I, I work hard to balance my, my lifestyle because I am genetically predisposed to becoming stressed out and I have to take those moments um, in nature and, 
uh, by myself. So that's what I have to say about that. Yes, there's supplements you can do, but you have to slow your life down um, and not keep going at 100 miles an hour. Yeah, I actually liked that you left that in the book. I, w- I was going to bring that up, and then you brought it up that you that you said that at the end of a chapter. It kind of made me laugh when you when you said that. It's like you know he's he's walking the talk. He knows his limitations, and he knows what he needs to be able to uh, bring it down a notch and not end up in a zero to sixty in two seconds situation. And I liked it. And I think what we've heard here is don't use your genetics to say that you your body can't detoxify. It can. It's a miracle. I hear you say you saying, and you can write this down, everyone. This is a this is a Dr. Ben Lynch quote. Don't use your genes as an excuse to be a punk. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so the book is the book is called Dirty Genes. Um, he has solutions at the end. He has great tips for how to use your diet and uh, other things that you're doing that you might not think are related to how your genes perform for you. Tell us a little bit more. I know you mentioned that um, you have a genetic report. Tell tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can do that genetic report without having to go spit in a tube and do do one of the genetic tests. Yeah. So, you know, the, the quizzes in dirty genes is as far as you really need to go if that's your comfort level. And, uh, cause it shows your true genetic expression. You know, I've, I have folks who've run my genetic report and they, they've done that and they, they get confused because they say, Oh, I've, I've aimed you far, but I do the quiz and I don't see any checks. So is your quiz wrong? I was like, no, it's not acting up. Your MTR is fine. You know, you're doing okay. Um, so it's genetics can lead you down the rabbit hole and confuse things. So I only encourage people to do their genetics if you're curious and you want to learn more. Um, because once you do that, you know, you, you open Pandora's box, you look under the hood of how you're built and it's, it's cool. It's fun. I, I personally love it and dig it. Um, but if that's not you, you don't want to dig deeper and, and learn more Then don't, don't do your genetics. Um, dirty genes is, is plenty to start. Um, but you might, you might warm up and if you do warm up, then 23 and me is a, you know, you get the basic, uh, test. You don't need to get the whole health reports, uh, stuff from 23 and me, just do the cheaper version. It's sub a hundred bucks. And then you, you run Stratagene and Stratagene is a genetic uh, report that I use that ties with, uh, 23 and me data. And it provides, uh, your clinically relevant research genes, not just some random information, which a lot of genetic reports have. And then it provides you how your genes get dirty and it shows the vitamins and minerals and how to support them. And then you're in a Facebook group, which is also nurturing and supportive. Uh, People there have been following my work for a long time and very skilled uh, themselves and help coach you along as well. And there's a lot of free resources that comes along with that. So that's strategy. And then my website is drbenlynch. So drbenlynch.com, a lot of social media, uh, very active uh, on that. Thursdays, I always do a Facebook Live around 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, uh, where I talk about certain topics and then do a Q&A, and they're a lot of fun. Um, I like engaging with the community there. And then uh, Seeking Health is my supplement company for tools, but you know, I don't want people supplementing out of the gate. I really, really encourage you, if this is overwhelming, confusing, read Dirty Jeans. Uh, read the reviews on Dirty Jeans. If you're nervous about it, Dirty Jeans is, is useful for you. One, it's 17 bucks. Uh, two, you can go to drbenlynch.com, throw your email in, and you can get a sampling of how I write, um, you know, because I'm a pretty scientific uh, guy and I can I can go off on science. Um, but I didn't do that in the book. Uh, provide the science where it's appropriate 
And, um, but I do it in a, in a useful, approachable way. But the 26 steps to clean jeans is a, a free download at DR Ben Lynch, which is, it's very good. And, uh, it gives you great actionable steps without having to buy the book, uh, for first beat. But, uh, the book gives you the program to, and real time quizzes and recipes from my own home. Thanks to my wife. So there's some resources for you. Yeah, I, I felt like the book was very conversational and not uh, overly scientific. It was definitely written to a layperson. So thank you so much for being with us. This has been a really fascinating conversation and all the best of luck with your book launch. I'm really excited for you. You've done tremendous work in the world already. I'm excited to see what you bring out next. Well, thank you, Robin. I appreciate your contributions too. Thank you. Thank you. 